Awesome. Great to have you here. My name is Jeff Kerr. My wife, Christy, and I are the pastors here. We'd love to meet you. Maybe let's meet on the parade route. That would be great. It would be awesome if it was like your first day here and you walked in the parade with us. That would, Although maybe you might not be ready to commit to that level yet. That's a Parade is a big level of commitment. So, A um, couple of things real quick before we jump in. We're going to continue our series today. Um, called Grow, talking about the spiritual gifts that are listed in the New Testament. But Megan already mentioned due days, and I have a couple things about that. But also, we have our uh, youth, youth missions team in Ecuador this morning, and my daughter uh, called me this morning to give a little update, and I know we've sent out some emails and posted some pictures as well. But the team is doing great. They had a long day of travel on Friday, I think at the airport by something like 3.30 a.m., which... They're teenagers, they can bounce back, but the parents who drove them there <laughs> are still recovering from that. Um, but they're, they're on their way to a couple different church services today. Pastor Stephen, our youth pastor, is preaching in a couple different church services, so keep praying for them. I asked how everyone's doing, how all the team is doing, and they all said, they said they're all doing great, so that's a great report from our team in Ecuador. And then uh, Megan mentioned due days. It was a great weekend, so if you were here serving, volunteering, helping out, wearing one of our red shirts for any of our events. Uh, I just want to thank you for that. When we, Christy and I have been kind of reminiscing all weekend of um, when we first were looking at this building, we were meeting at the Methodist Church just down the road, and we'd come to due days or some other community event, and we'd see the whole town like right outside, and we'd see this building just sitting empty, and we're like, somebody's got to do something with that building. And so this weekend is like the perfect example of why we love this location, just being in the heart of our community, meeting people. We, I mean, we're a little tired, and we'll, be, we'll make it through the parade today, and then we'll take some good naps. But what an opportunity for us to be a light in our community. And just, I was here the whole weekend just meeting people, talking to people, and either, as Megan mentioned, people like, oh, I, I didn't know, you know, it's, I've seen the church here, but it's nice to meet somebody from there, and oh, we'll have to check it out sometime. Um, but just also talking to community leaders or um, just people who didn't have any idea there was a church here or just making those connections. And this really is what, what it means to be uh, the heart of Jesus Christ in our community. So if you were a part of that, I want to thank you for that. Um, I've had a few people ask. I was in Kiss the Pig, the contest, you know, the little cans that we were putting money in and the winner would kiss the pig. Um, I regret to inform you, or maybe I don't, um, that I did not win. I did not have to kiss the, I did not get to kiss the pig. Um, <laughs> You know, and it was it was one of those things where you know you saw the jars, the coins that everyone put stuff in, and man, I thought I had it locked up. I really did. And uh, exit polling showed really positive results, and so I thought I had it. I thought it was in the bag. But then right before the kiss the pig, they pull out these boxes of other jars, and all of a sudden the vote swayed way away from me. So I think we should protest the results. And. Uh, I think we're gonna we're gonna protest down at Rambling River Center today during the parade. So, um, thanks for everyone who who helped make due days a great weekend, and uh, we we love being in our community. So thanks for for uh, really what it is about helping Jesus look good in our community, and it's evangelism, and that's what we're actually going to talk about today: the spiritual gift of evangelism. Evangelism is way more, way different than just standing on a street corner shouting scriptures at people angrily as they walk by or knocking on a door and, and uh, quoting a scripture verse to somebody. It's just getting to know people. A lot of it is building relationships, just being the light, um, lending a helping hand. Uh, 
you know, and I'll talk about this in a little bit, living a life that causes people to say, now what's going on with you? Why are you so optimistic? Why, are, why is everyone in those red homestead shirts so friendly? The, we had the people in charge of due days, the police chief, the uh, other community leaders, the mayor, and they all were very thankful for our church and just say, hey, you're always just here for our community. That's evangelism. That is just building a bridge to the community, and that's what we're talking about today, the gift of evangelism, the spiritual gift of evangelism. The series that we're in, we're talking about spiritual gifts. And if this is a new concept to you, it really is this idea that there are things that we are to do as Christ followers that generally we all should do. Be generous, evangelize, um, you know, pray, gift of prayer, generosity, those things, words of wisdom, encouragement, encouraging one another. But there's spiritual gifts that God gives us uniquely to us as individuals, where there's going to be some of those things that just seem to click with you in a more substantial way, where other people might think, well, I've, I, I pray and I'm disciplined in it. And then there's other people that have the gift of intercession. And it's just prayer is something that they just feel causes them to come alive. They are like devoted to a life of prayer. God has given them, the Holy Spirit has enabled them with this gift of intercession. We believe that scripture says when you become a follower of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit fills you, comes upon you, and then you begin to grow in these fruit of the Spirit. You begin to grow in your Christ-likeness. You begin to grow in some of these gifts. So throughout the summer, we're going to talk about some of these things. And it's not that you can say, like today, for example, the gift of evangelism at no point can you say, oh, I don't have that gift, so I never have to worry about evangelizing anybody. That's not it at all. We're all called to do that. But some of you today, I think as we talk through this, you're going to think, yeah, that, that kind of resonates with my soul. That, kinda, that might be something that God is doing in me where there's like a, a unique empowerment for evangelism. And so there's a definition of evangelism that I want to point out. It'll be up on the screen. Evangelists are given the unique ability by the Holy Spirit to clearly and effectively communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. They are burdened in their heart for the lost and will go out of their way to share the truth with them. Their gift allows them to communicate with all types of people and therefore they receive a greater response to the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. I thought that was a great example kind of encapsulating what evangelism is. And so as I've mentioned, you can't read that and say, well, that's not me, so I'm going to check out now. I don't have to worry about that. There is a general call for all of us to care about the lost, right? To care about those in our community. We had our entire community wandering around the streets, and once again, I was recognizing, I'm going, okay, we got, we, we'll make more room for these people who want to know Jesus, right? Not all these people are coming to our church. Not all these people, I don't know if they're going to a church. There are still lost people wandering around all weekend, and it just it kind of reaffirmed in my heart, like, we are here for the lost. We are here for lost people. And that's a general call for all of us. But for some of you today, you're going to think, wow, I maybe think that God has given me this gift of evangelism. I've mentioned a few people in church, in our church, that they seem to invite people and share their faith with people. And it's like they, they, they get great positive response. People show up to church. There's times where at our lunch for new people where we say, how did you hear about the church? And the whole room says, well, we were invited by Lonnie and Rebecca Sauber. And we're like, man, they've just got this gift on their life, Right. <laughs> So I want you to be thinking about what the Holy Spirit is going to say to you through today's message and as well through this summer. Like, what is God, what has the Holy Spirit empowered you with? 
We're going to look in the New Testament in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to kind of work through this chapter um, a chunk at a time and kind of work through the whole thing. Now, it doesn't start out, 2 Corinthians 5 doesn't start out talking about evangelism, but it gets there. And I love how it starts talking about like eternity in heaven, really to kind of set the perspective and then it goes into evangelism, the work that we are to do. It kind of gives us a broader perspective of why we need to be having a heart of evangelism, why we need to be reaching out for the lost, because eternity is at stake. So you see how in 2 Corinthians 5, it's going to kind of build on itself as we go through this chapter. And that's why it's good, and we'll say this often, it's good for you to read whole chapters of scripture or whole books of scripture so you can kind of get the bigger theme that is being built throughout. You see throughout the whole book of 2 Corinthians, this letter that the apostle Paul wrote, he kind of builds one thought on another thought. Anytime you see the word therefore, and it sounds very churchy, but you're going to see it a bunch in the verses we read today, it's because he's building on a thought. Christ is supreme. We live for him. Therefore, we are devoted to him. We're going to live in heaven one day. Therefore, we should have a heart to tell other people about eternity. You see how it kind of builds? In 2 Corinthians 5, there's a, like, I guess we'll call it a, a famous verse alert, right? We all know the uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. There, maybe not all of us, but therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We've heard that verse, right? That's a great verse. We, I stand on that verse anytime I feel like this weight of condemnation that the enemy tries to, be, to bring or when I'm talking to someone who's maybe trying to break the chains of addiction or patterns of sin that they're trying to get rid of and trying to live new life in Christ. We use that verse all the time. If you're in Christ, you are a new creation. There's no reason to feel shame for what is in the past, right? Amen? But we see that it is a part of a way bigger context. You can see themes develop. So I want to kind of start working through 2 Corinthians chapter 5 today. Now, the first chunk, um, I'm just going to kind of give a synopsis. Like verse 1 through 10, as I mentioned, it's setting up this idea that our home is in heaven. We are not home here. One day we will be present with the Lord in eternity. Um, it actually talks about this, and it was a, a good visual, maybe not good visual, but it's, he, he refers to it as wandering around this earth recognizing I don't really fit in. I don't feel like I belong. And he refers to it as walking around this earth naked, longing to be clothed in heaven. And I thought, well, that's a, that's a striking visual, right? If you imagine yourself like naked and you're like, I don't feel like I fit in, right? This feels weird. <laughs> like that's kind of like, <laughs> okay, bring it back, everybody. Bring it back, everybody. I love that Paul kind of, it's just that feeling of, man, on this earth, I, I don't fit. Like, I long to be home in heaven. So he starts out with this, this hope of heaven. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We, we use that verse a lot in funerals when people are grieving the loss of a loved one. It brings us hope and perspective of anyone. The moment they leave this earth, the moment their last breath is taken on an earthly in an earthly body, they are present with the Lord. What a great promise. That's a great promise for us. We don't need to fear death. We don't need to fear death because it just means we get to go home and right away. 
That's a great perspective to have. Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So then I want to pick that up. He's kind of set the tone of this idea that we're not home on this earth. One day we'll be home in heaven. And then in verse 6 through 9 of 2 Corinthians 5, that's where we're going to start today. It says this, so we are always of good courage. Why? Because we're going to be home in heaven one day. We know that while we are home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Verse 8, yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And then in verse 9, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. So he has set up the context of one day we're going to be in heaven, but while we're here, feeling like we don't fit all the time, feeling like, man, this is a difficult thing. While we're here, let's make it our aim to make the most of our days here and be pleasing to the Lord. That's a great kind of perspective, right? While we're on this earth, let's make it our aim to please the Lord, to please him in every way. Now, this is the posture of a follower of Jesus for all of us right? If you are a follower of Jesus, what it means is you are deciding, okay, while I'm on this earth, I can't wait for heaven one day, but while I'm here, it is my goal and my aim to please him in every way. Please him in every way. I'm not going to spend my days on earth devoted to the cares and the patterns of this world, the wisdom of this world. I am going to live in a way that is like consecrated is another churchy word, like set apart for the things of God. I'm not going to care about all the things going on in the world. I'm going to live for a higher calling, a greater purpose to please our Lord and Savior. That is a big call. That is a huge growth step for all of us right there. I think if all of us just said, today what I'm going to decide to do is rather than just going through my life, caring about the things of the world, kind of going through, putting in time, waiting for heaven one day, and just kind of going on as life as usual now, instead we say, no, I'm going to prioritize the things of God. That's a great step of faith for all of us right there. How can I set aside the things of this world and grow in the things of God? And how do we do that? You might be new to this and you're like, well, that sounds very churchy and I don't know what you mean. Like, practically speaking, how do we do that? Well, the scripture talks about how we reflect the image of Jesus Christ. When we're a follower of Jesus, we begin to reflect his image, which just means we begin to be more like him. So in other words, be like Jesus. Love God. Love other people. Don't be self-centered. Care for other people. Grow in your faith. Minister to the hurting. Resist the flesh. Resist temptation. Pursue righteousness. All the things we read about in the scripture when we talk about the fruit of the spirit. Grow in joy and love and peace and patience. All of these things that we see embodied in Jesus Christ, that is how we devote ourselves to the things of God. None of which involves, okay, I raised a hand in church and I'm now a Christian and now I guess I'm just going back to life as normal. That doesn't happen. That's not what it's supposed to be. None of it is, involves being a Christian and then just going back to your usual life, unchanged. In fact, in the next chapter, we won't read it right now, but in the next chapter, chapter 6, Paul talks about this idea of don't receive the grace of God in vain. And what he's referring to is don't receive the mercy of Jesus Christ that was purchased at such a high price and then just go on like nothing is different. Don't receive the grace in vain. Have this perspective of why we are here on this earth, to please him in every way. Then it builds from there. Verse 10. 
gives us this great perspective. Verse 10 of 2 Corinthians 5. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So this is talking about a day Again, absent from the body, present with the Lord, we long to be in heaven one day. And all of us, at some point, will stand before the Lord and give an account for how we spent our days. Okay, so I want that to settle in for a minute. We are going to stand before our Lord and King and give an account. You know the parable of the talents in the Gospels where the Master gives responsibilities to people and then he comes back. This is what Jesus is referring to, that one day we are all going to be those people giving an account for what we did with what the Lord gave us. What did he give us? Resources and time. How did you spend your resources and your time? And we will give an account. Now, this is not a salvation moment. This is not standing before the, you know, the pearly gates and they open the big book and find out which door you're going through. I mean, we know that with confidence, we know that in Jesus Christ, our eternity is set, eternal life in heaven, in Jesus Christ. But we will all stand before the Lord and give an account for how we stewarded our days. How we stewarded our resources. Think about that. Jesus asking you one day, so what'd you do with all that time I gave you? What'd you do with all those resources I gave you? That is Paul in this letter kind of just setting the perspective of what he's about to talk about next. So jump ahead a little bit. Verse 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us, or other translations would say compels us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Uh, in verse 15, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So this is kind of theology stuff here of the love of Christ compels us because the price has been paid. The price has been paid. One died, Jesus Christ died for all of us so that we don't have to die for our sins. We don't have to pay the penalty for our sins. That is good news. That means we are right with God. God looks at us and says, a-okay, the price for your sin has been paid. He sees the righteousness of Christ when he looks at us because of what Jesus has done. So now what the love of Christ compels us to do is tell other people about it, to tell other people the good news. Verse 16, from now on, therefore, and that therefore means because of everything I've said up to this point, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus as no longer. And then we know this verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. Because of this, we no longer recognize people according to the flesh. In other words, we no longer, because of what Christ has done, hold anybody's sin against them. Because of what Christ has done, God no longer holds your sin against you. In Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. And God no longer holds the sin of other people against them in Christ. So we should do the same. We should not look at people and hold sin against them. Because our Lord does not do that. We should reflect the image of Christ and not see other people as their worst behavior, but rather see them as they, are, they can be forgiven too under the mercy of Jesus Christ. 
right? This is why we are, you see how it's kind of building? Because one day we'll give an account, because the price has been paid, because we are new creations in Christ, and other people can be too, we are compelled by the love of Christ to go tell other people about it. Verse 18. Wait, I think I already read that. Oh no, verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ, now this is kind of the main key verse for today, and you're probably thinking, it's about time we got there. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, that's what we've been talking about, and then get this, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave that ministry to us. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and what does this say? And entrusting us the message of reconciliation. That is huge. Think about that. God has given us this ministry of reconciliation. God has put that charge on us to go out and make sure people can be reconciled to God. He entrusted that to us. Think about that. The way for God to reconcile all the lost people, all the people that were wandering these streets over the last few days for due days. And that's just Farmington. Think about around the world, billions of people who do not know Jesus. The way for God to reconcile the lost to himself that was accomplished through Jesus Christ, but the work was left to us. Yikes, right? That was left to us. We receive the Holy Spirit and we operate in the gifts of the Spirit and we are emboldened and empowered by the Holy Spirit, but the work is for us to do. The ministry of reconciliation was ours to do. The work of evangelism has been entrusted to us. That's what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians 5. This work of seeing the lost come to Jesus Christ has been entrusted to you. It's been entrusted to me. That's why I see a, a weekend like this of just meeting people and, and getting to know people as part of the work that God has for us to do on this earth. God didn't entrust anything else in all of creation with this work. Just us, just the people. Didn't entrust the angels to do it. Just the people, us, the followers of Jesus, to do the work. Have you ever been somewhere where you were given a task you were entrusted to do something and you forgot, right? I think one of the best features of these things is if you have all your family on the, you know, find my iPhone or family sharing, you can see the location. What happens to me and maybe the husbands, I'll just speak to the husbands here for a minute. Christy will leave the house and say, hey, can you do this? She's entrusting me to do one thing, right? One thing before I get home. And then eventually what I'll do is it'll kind of clue in, or I'll hear the garage door open, and it's just like, Gah, what, a, what was I supposed to do? And I feel like as long as I can be in process of doing it when she walks in the room, then it's okay. But better yet, I can be like, oh, she's on, she's on Flagstaff right now. I better get moving. I think a, a great feature for the iPhone, and we know they're all listening to us right now, would be for like the Honeydew app or something that it automatically listens for your wife's voice so it knows what the task was. And then it syncs it with that GPS so that it like reminds you or zaps you with the, okay, she's three miles away and you were supposed to unload the dishwasher, let's get moving, right? Ever been entrusted to do something that you forgot? Or you entrusted somebody to do something and then they messed it up and their, their approach is like, oh, so I forgot, what's the big deal? And you're like, 
Everything else was hinging on this. You had one job. You know, if you Google the phrase, you had one job, it's kind of a meme, right? I was looking at it this week. There's really funny pictures of it, and everyone comments like, you had one job. There's one where it's like painted on the road, school crossing, but school is spelled wrong, which is ironic and funny. It's like, you had one job, or a staircase that's built up to a house, but the door is over here, and it's just like, oh, engineering fails, those things. You had one job. We can relate to that, whether it's someone that we entrusted that didn't come through or something we were entrusted with and we didn't come through. And in those moments, the response can't be, what's the big deal? Because someone was trusting you to do something, right? In these terms, the gift of evangelism, the ministry of reconciliation that Paul is talking about, reconciling lost people to God, it cannot be met with indifference on our part, right? This can't be something where we're like, ah, what's the big deal? Someone else will do it, right? It can't be something that we just pass on. It can't be something that we just don't care about. Chapter 6, if you read on, and we won't read on today, but chapter 6 will go on to say, Paul will say, because of all of these things, we don't put any obstacles in anybody's way to come to Jesus Christ. We don't want to put any obstacles in the way of someone coming to Jesus Christ. Everything we do as a church hinges around that idea. Kids' church down there, they're doing all sorts of fun stuff and visual things just to kind of capture the attention of kids so that they want to come to church because we don't want there to be any obstacles for kids to give their heart to Jesus, right? We don't think the fun is going to save them, but what we know is there's a lot of kids who grew up in a boring church that they never wanted to go to again, and that was an obstacle to faith. And some of you are nodding right now, right? We don't want, we want to remove every obstacle. Everything we do as a church is, now we're not just saying, oh, just come, it doesn't matter, you know, we're not kind of like getting rid of the salvation message. You still need to receive salvation. But all the man-made obstacles that we put in front of people, well, you got to fix this in your life before you're welcome here. Well, you got to say this or do this or believe that. We want to remove all those obstacles. We don't want any obstacle to be there for people to come to Jesus, right? Paul is referring to like, the Jewish tradition, the rules, the Old Testament, the commandments, the feasts and festivals and sacrifices, because that was kind of the context here of all these new converts were saying, well, do we still need to sacrifice animals? Do we still need to do this and this? And some people were saying yes, and some people were saying no, and Paul is saying, we don't need to put up any obstacles. This is paid for through Jesus Christ. Now, that context doesn't really apply to us, but I was thinking about it this week. What are some of the obstacles that we put up in our lives that are hindrances for people to come to Jesus Christ. So I have a few of them that we're going to put on the screen. The obstacles to people coming in to faith. We can throw that next slide up there. Obstacles to evangelism. That's right, I had that wrong in my notes. First one is this, hypocrisy. This would be very common in our world. People say, why would I want to be a Christian? Because look at those Christians. They pretend they're better than everybody, but they just are exactly the same, in some cases worse. A life of sin, a life of joyless living, anger, worry, fear, bickering, gossip, greed, right? Do, would we say confidently that, oh, the Christians have got all those things covered? Like, no, we, we live in a world where there's a lot of people of faith, and we battle these things too. We can't just live a life that the world looks at and says, they're no different than anybody else, right? There's no re Why would I want to be a follower of Jesus if I turn out like them? 
A life of hypocrisy is a big obstacle for people in our culture. Another one is this, antagonism. So let's be real honest with ourselves here. Don't raise your hands. Do you like people, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, worldly unsaved people, people you see talked about on the news that causes you to be like, oh, those people there. Antagonism, worldly unsaved people. Or is your heart moved with compassion? Are you compelled by your love for God to care for them and share the love of Jesus? If you were not here last week, we had special guests who were with us talking about their missions work in another country where they were persecuted, arrested. There are followers of Jesus that were good friends of theirs that disappeared. They were arrested and interrogated, and they still don't know where they are. When we look at parts of the world like that, is our heart moved with compassion? Is our heart moved with... What, what got me about talking to our missionary friends was their heart to, we, we got to go back, or somebody's got to go. Somebody's got to go back and finish our work, because we're going to find another spot, because they kicked us out of this country. We're never allowed to go back there. So somebody else has to go back and tell them, and we're going to find another difficult place to go and tell them about Jesus. That gripped my heart. Because it wasn't, of all the people who could just be like, I can't believe they did that. Of all the good we're trying to do and then they did this, those people, those other religions, right? There could be a heart of antagonism, but they were gripped with this heart, this ministry of reconciliation. The third one that I thought of this week was the cares of this world. The cares of this world. And I, we've referred to this earlier in this message where it might be you're following Jesus and you're like, well, I'm just going on with life as normal. Right? Cares of this world. And when it comes to the ministry of reconciliation or evangelism, we're just like, eh, we're just not that interested. I mean, just in your heart, just be real honest. Just kind of indifferent. Doesn't really matter. Lost people, all the people walking around due days, doesn't really matter. Man, in light of the, the, the context that the Apostle Paul set for us, one day we're going to stand before the Lord and give an account for how we spent our days. How do you stand before God and admit you just didn't care enough about his lost sheep to do anything about it. This isn't meant to be a guilt trip, but man, how easy is it for us to just fall into the trap of just caring about all the things the world cares about and going through life trying to get as much money in the bank account as we can and trying to be successful and happy and all these things and all the cares of this world where God is like, I've entrusted you with the ministry of telling people about Jesus Christ. And the last one I thought of, an obstacle that we have for evangelism is this, just fear. A lot of us are just fear, fear-based of, I don't know what to do. What if they say no? What if they don't like me? What if I get made fun of? Um, I don't know what to say. Here's the thing, when we talked about, when, when the Apostle Paul said, we are compelled by the love of Christ, really what Paul was saying there is we're not compelled by even results right? We're just compelled to go tell people about it. What they do with the message is up to them. The results are up to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working in the hearts of people, but we are compelled to tell people. That's our job. So if you're worried about, well, what if they don't do this with the message? That's not on you. The ministry that you have been entrusted with is to tell people. So you don't need to be afraid about that. Will there be people that are like, I don't want to talk about Jesus? Yeah. But I promise you there will be more people who will be like, wow, I never thought of that. Or I'm so glad you said that. Or, 
yeah, I've been meaning to get back to church, or thanks, and thanks for caring enough to at least tell me. You're going to get all different responses, but a fear of a response should not hinder us from doing what we have been entrusted to do. Engage with people and be ready to talk about Jesus. That was my whole goal, and I, I know a lot of people in our church, it was the same thing. I'm just engaging with people. I'm talking to people, and if they bring up church, if they bring up faith, I'm ready to talk about it. And if the Holy Spirit prompts my heart to go talk to them and tell them about Jesus, I'm going to be obedient. This is what it is. 1 Peter 3, 15 through 16 says this, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. And then here's a great passage right here. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Right? So there are a lot of people... Uh, professing salvation through Jesus Christ in ways that is not gentle and respectful, right? I mean, we're urgent. We, we have urgency, but always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared for people to come up to you and say, wow, you seem joyful. Wow, you're full of hope. In the midst of all the tragedy in this world, what's going on in your life that makes you so filled with hope? I'm glad you asked. Now, if some of you are like, I wouldn't know what to say then, we're going to give you a, a couple little things in just a minute here, right? Very practical. But we have to start with this. That passage, what we have to start with is, you got to have some hope, yeah. right? Yeah. you got to have something that people look at and say, what is it about you? If you're angry and fearful and materialistic and greedy and selfish, not many people are going to come up and say, what's the secret, <laughs> right? Wow. But if you are hopeful, filled with love and faith, and people are going to look at that, especially, especially when you walk through something difficult and yet you still have hope, people are going to come to you and be like, now what's the secret, right? What is going on there? And then you can say, well, here's the reason I have for my hope. Always be prepared. Be ready to explain why. So if you have never really thought about that, I challenge you this week. Think about what you would say if someone said, what's the reason for your hope? Okay? And write it down and practice it. And here's what I want us to kind of go through. Here's kind of what I was thinking. Well, what would I say? How would you describe, what's the gospel message to somebody? If say, well, what's this whole thing about Jesus? Why would I want to become a Christian? And I wrote down a few things that I just thought, well, here's what I would say. And this will be up on the screen. The first one is, we're created by God to know him. That's why we're here. We're created by God to know him. You want to know why you're on this earth? Created by God to know him. That's the source of life. But our sin breaks that relationship. Your sin, my sin. Not specific sins, not specific things that we like. Those are terrible people. Our sin. None of us are righteous. That sin breaks that relationship. Jesus died and rose again. Paid the price. This satisfied the justice of God. This, this paid the penalty for our sin. We have mercy and that relationship with God is restored. And that's why we're on the earth. And then finally, and the result of that is we have abundant life through Jesus Christ. We don't have to fear the things the world fears. We don't have to fear what happens after we die. We don't have to fear how we're going to be provided for. We don't have to fear all of these things because God says he's going to provide for these things through his riches and glory in Jesus Christ. 
So it's created by God. Our sin breaks the relationship. Jesus died and rose again. Abundant life. And I was like, I should make this something that's like a cool like thing to remember. Make it like A, B, C, D or something. But I couldn't. I was tired. And so I just came up, well, if you just go created our Jesus abundant, that's koja. So I just said, well, let's just go koja. I'm like, I should make it a real word, but I didn't. So maybe by second service, I'll have something better. But that's the best. Whatever causes you to remember just like, here's the reason for my hope. It's because I believe that I have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I'm a part of a community of believers that love and support one another, right? I want you to think about somebody coming up to you and saying, why, why so much hope? And what would you say to them? We need to grow in this work of evangelism. So that's all of us, the general call to grow. But maybe what the Holy Spirit is stirring in your heart is something bigger than that where you're like, I think I might be really passionate about this. I feel like I, I'm always like burdened for lost people and I want to talk to them about it. And any chance I can, I want to talk to people about life in Jesus Christ. That's maybe where the Holy Spirit is wanting to grow a spiritual gift in some of you today. To see eternities changed and lives transformed. I mean, what other way would we want to spend our time? So let me ask you this. Maybe some of you here. Now, again, I'm not disqualifying anybody. So again, reminder, this whole thing, evangelism, we all got to do it. We all got to do it. Talk to people about Jesus. If you have never given your life to Jesus and you're here because someone dragged you to church today, I just described it right there. The reason for our hope is because our relationship with God is restored and all we have to do is receive it. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I know the relationship with God is broken because of my sin, but you died and rose and I receive it and I make you the Lord of my life. Pray that. And that is what you do. You profess with your heart and with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. That's how you become a follower of Jesus. What, and after that, what better way would we have to spend our days on this earth than seeing lives and eternities changed for Jesus Christ? So maybe in you, you're just like, I think this is a spiritual gift that I have. I find it um, compelling. I, I, I can't shake that that ministry that God has entrusted me with. I want to talk to people all the time. And, and you find yourself able to explain it well and people respond to you. You might be growing in the gift of evangelism. So let's all grow in this, right? I want to encourage you. How do we do this? It's not just standing on a street corner yelling at people. Actually, probably would say, let's not yell at people anywhere, right? But it's invite people to a small group. Invite people to church, I mean, really, just get to know some people and extend an invitation to church. We'll call that like level one, right? We can all do that. Just get to know people and be nice to your neighbors and invite them to church and see what the Holy Spirit will do. Maybe you want to start a Bible study. Maybe you want to invite people to your house and lead a discussion about things of faith, right? These are all the ways we can grow. But we start with this, and here's how we're wrapping up. Just be ready to give an answer. If you are open and you just say, Lord, give me opportunities this week to share my faith, to share the reason for the hope that I have, do you think the Holy Spirit would maybe open those doors for you because he's entrusted you with that ministry of reconciliation and evangelism? So let's pray for that as we close today. So let's bow our heads and, and pray for a moment. And Holy Spirit, we, I pray that as we wrap up this message today that as we do with all of these different gifts of the Spirit, I, we just take a moment and allow you to speak to us. Is this something that for a few people in this room, like a, a, a gift of evangelism that you are giving to them? 
where you are going to use them in really, really powerful, unique ways to see people who are lost come to faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we all want to do it, but maybe there's some here that you're like imparting that Holy Spirit boldness and empowering and just the, the, the Holy Spirit moving through them that when they talk to people that you're going to cut those people to the heart and they are going to recognize that they need a Savior. Lord, we, we pray that through the Holy Spirit that all of us would be able to do that, but that you would stir up this gift of evangelism in our church, Lord. Lord, we want to see people's lives change. We want to see lost people come to faith in Jesus Christ. As we walk through, through this parade route today and the whole city is out there, May our hearts be gripped for lost people who just, they're hopeless. They don't know that there is life, abundant life through Jesus Christ. That we believe eternity is at stake. That we would believe one day we'll stand before the Lord and, and give an account for all those conversations we had with lost people. Lord, grip our heart that the lost would be found and that you would use us. I pray that this church would grow in our care for the lost, our longing to see people found in Jesus Christ. So do that work in each of us, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. Thanks for being here today, Homestead Church. We're so glad you're with us. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. We'd love to see you join us at the parade at about 1145 down at the fairgrounds. Otherwise, have a great day.